Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's a Tuesday, February the 15th, year of our Lord, 2022. Hope your week is going well. Continues to roll on. You've survived Valentine's Day. Congratulations. we got President's Day coming up. Got some things like the State of the Union coming up. So we start to look forward to spring and getting February out of the way because it is rolling by quickly. Folks, I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for spending the most precious thing you have, your time with us today. We're not going to waste a minute of it. A lot to cover today. We're going to talk how some folks in Canada find the word freedom to be a very scary word, and some other people are using freedom as a cudgel to beat people over the head with to get what they want. How are we going to parse that out? We'll talk freedom and a CBC article that didn't help much here in just a little bit. Also, President Biden is getting some advice on what to do with his forthcoming State of the Union speech. He's getting it from a somewhat unlikely place. And some advice that I agree is good advice, and he should take it. We'll delve into that in just a little bit. Also, story of a man walking end-to-end from the state of North Carolina to bring awareness to wildlife issues. Cool little story. Uh, I thought he was going to walk it. He's actually going to run it. So, good for him, for a good cause. That'll be our lighter story to try to end the day with. Also on the program today, our guest, Jacob Puckett a Young Voices contributor. We're going to talk a little bit about the environment, about things like admissions, things like government regulation, uh, how energy works, how energy costs work. Great in-depth discussion. We're going to turn down the noise that people have about energy, what it costs, how to make it, uh, emissions, people that really care about the environment as opposed to those who just make a whole lot of noise about it online. Going to get into that with Jacob Puckett as our guest today for our good talk First, uh, let's start with something that spent a lot of time on people's social media accounts all day yesterday, the Super Bowl halftime show. Yes, I know we're got the Russia-Ukraine situation and we got inflation. We got all these really important issues, political divisions, menaces in the streets, crime is up, hunger's up, people are scared. So let's debate the Super Bowl halftime show. It's a time-honored tradition. No matter what they put on the halftime show of the Super Bowl, people are going to complain about it. But remember, this is the turn the noise of the news cycle down show. There's something that happens, and it happened again yesterday. Anytime you have a cultural touch point, you have people whose entire business model is based around the culture have to jump all over it. They have to because they get more eyeballs than ever before. Super Bowl is the highest-rated TV program every year without exception by a factor of three or four easily. You're talking 100 million people watching this thing. So folks that need that for their income stream and their business model are going to jump all over it. And sure enough, they did. And the Super Bowl helped them out because we had, you might need to sit down, they had rap music on the halftime show 
oh my God, Tipper Gore, what are we going to do? So you remember back in the 90s, we dealt with all this mess with Tipper Gore putting all the parental advisory stickers and talking about dangerous lyrics and dangerous music. Folks, let's just calm down for a second. Everybody on that stage last night was 50 or pushing 50 years old. This is the same in the 80s or 90s if they wrote or rolled out the 60s counterculture rock bands that were so dangerous in the 60s and they bring them out and now they're beloved. Culture's always moving, it's always changing, and people change as they get old. But that's not the point. The point is, can we get people outraged about this as if it's something that really is important other than just being a halftime show and try to jam it into culture and politics because culture and politics sell and buddy... Selling politics and culture's business is a booming. So the usual suspects come out and they're going to trash it as this cultural depravity and how dare the NFL do this. And the NFL's gone woke. That's the word of the day. And yada, 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 wordy, wordy, wordy. It's all nonsense, of course. These are the same people told us a couple of years ago that they were going to boycott the NFL. They never did. The NFL ratings have never been higher. There are people that said they were going to protest the NFL because of the way certain players acted, or so forth and so on. That's interesting. Why are they going to do that? Well, they disrespected the country, and they disrespected veterans. Oh, really? I've already detailed on this program with some guests that we couldn't find you anywhere to protest the VA when they actually were killing veterans through incompetence and or malice. Where were you on that? So I'm just going to go ahead and assume you're a hypocrite and move on. Sorry if that hits close to home and hurts. That's the truth. The NFL is performative. Their patriotism displays are performative. So if it strikes you as a chord, and it does me too, I love the national anthem, I love seeing the flag, but understand that's manipulative and performative. So don't get upset when the NFL, which is a business, which is also a TV show, the most popular TV show on four different channels, does a little performative manipulation. That's what they're supposed to do. So they had, for the first time, a hip-hop-centered concert. They had a bunch of guys that were popular in the 90s and 2000s and still are. I love Snoop. I like Dre. Look, I grew up mostly in the 90s. I graduated high school in 1998. I listened to all that stuff the first time it came out. I got a chuckle when Dr. Dre, rapping the lyrics to California Love, had to change the lyric from I've been in the game for 10 years making rap tunes to I've been in the game 30 years, and he almost broke character and started laughing saying it because I think the moment kind of hit him a little bit. Cool moment. Go back and watch it. These folks were all in their 50s. You're going to tell me 50-year-old rappers are a threat to America when they've been making this music for 30-plus years? Come on now, you're being worked a little bit. They're not endangering anything. Jiggly dancers aren't endangering anything. It ain't any different if they put them on the stage than what the cheerleaders are doing on the sidelines. Y'all just calm down a little bit. Western civilization does not depend on the Super Bowl halftime. However, there are symbiotic news organizations and social media companies that do depend on it because they need to fight against it and they need to keep you mad and he keep you engaged. Oh, how dare them put them rappers on your TV? Oh, how dare you put them people with rap sheets on their TV? They have criminal records. Don't you know that? Yeah, we all know that we were there in the nineties when it happened. I can tell you probably more about it than they can. Cause I remember when it happened and I've read up on it since because I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for my media intake. If I want to know about Snoop's murder case, that, by the way, he was acquitted on, I can go read about it. If I want to read about Dr. Dre's various statements that are very questionable and his messy and dirty divorce 
and accusations that he's had about abusing women and so forth. I can go read about that. It's called adulting. How much of music are you going to clear out if you get rid of all the bad people? Oh, I know it's the Super Bowl, and that's the one day of the year you can't get away from it. Nobody made you watch. You could have clicked it away. Nobody made you go on your social media and talk about it. Nobody made you pose over this show, because that's what a lot of this is. It's posing. Makes you feel important. Lets you get out what you want to say about it. But it doesn't mean anything by the end of tomorrow. Understand this is all performative. Understand the social media and media companies that want you to be outraged about something that doesn't matter tomorrow. Just keep your bearing. Just enjoy the music. And if the music ain't your cup of tea, that's fine. Go do something else for 20 minutes. It only affects your life as much as you let it. And besides, we all know Prince was the best Super Bowl show ever and it's never going to be topped. So why worry about it anyway? More Heard Tell right after this. Welcome back to Heard Tell. Now, uh, this is kind of a silly season for politics. We're into an election year, but we're not quite to the primaries kicking up yet. Debates, things like that will be coming here in the next few weeks, but we ain't there yet. And President Biden is gearing up for his first State of the Union address. Remember, they didn't do a technical State of the Union, even though he addressed Congress, so it was anything but in name. But the new one's coming up, and he's getting some advice. And it's advice that sounds a lot like what we've been talking about on this program. Headline of this opinion piece in New York Times is, Mr. President, it's time for a little humility. Now, that's not the newsworthy bit here, because a lot of people have been saying that me included. The important part here is who wrote this piece? It's David Axelrod. If you don't remember, David Axelrod is the political mastermind behind the Obama campaigns. He was a strategist for the Obama White House as well. Somebody who knows a little bit about what he's doing when it comes to electing and maintaining a power base in the Democratic Party. He's also one of those people on the left that I tend to listen to very carefully, even though I disagree with him. He usually has his finger on the pulse, knows what he's talking about. His podcast his podcast, The Axe Files, you can find. He does that for CNN. Very good stuff, very informative. You can check that out. Writing in the New York Times by David Axelrod, former Obama strategist. Right now, the White House is gearing up for the president's first State of the Union address. His speechwriters are turning out drafts, gathering guidance from strategists and senior aides, and contending with feverish pleas from every agency of the federal government for a paragraph in the speech, even a sentence about their good works. The speech will command the largest television audience the president is likely to enjoy this year, and the temptation will be, as it always is, to herald his achievements and declare that he has navigated the storm, but Mr. President, proceed with caution. I'm reading from David Axelrod's New York Times op-ed. Talk about the things you and Congress have done to help the challenges of the American people are facing for sure. Lay down your goals for the future, absolutely. Offer realistic hope for better days ahead. We desperately need it but recognize that we are still in the grips of a national trauma. Polls show that the vast majority of Americans believe we are on the wrong track and people will have little patience for lavish claims of progress that defy their lived experiences. Even if we are, again, this is David Axelrod, former Obama strategist. Um, Even if we are objectively in a stronger position than we were a year ago, closer to the end of this ordeal than the beginning, Americans are not celebrating millions of lost loved ones, Many continue to struggle with the effects of the virus. Kids lost valuable time in the classroom and parents are struggling to cope. Healthcare workers are in a crisis and we have all felt the profound cost of our relative isolation away from family, friends, offices, and colleagues. Unsurprisingly, incidences of suicide, drug overdose, and violence in our homes and on the streets have grown. 
frustration with mask mask mandates and shifting rules have deepened political divides. Jobs have come roaring back, raising wages, but there is a massive labor shortage. Those wage increases have been eaten up by inflation, the likes of which we have not seen in four decades. And all the while, the rich have gotten richer. The State of the Union is stressed to claim otherwise, to highlight the progress we've made without fully acknowledging the hard road we traveled and the distance we need to go would seem off-key and out of touch. You simply cannot jawbone Americans into believing things are better than they feel. That's the opening part of David Axelrod, former Obama chief strategist, uh, the man many people credit with Obama's rise to power in the campaign, although Obama was a singular political figure, but we'll hash that out some other time. Uh, Axelrod usually knows what he's talking about. I think he's absolutely correct here. We have criticized this president and the Biden administration for being obsessed with the optics, which they are. They want to look like things are good. They sometimes fall short, frequently, I might add, of doing things that would actually make things better. They settle for optic fixes. They settle for quick fixes. They settle for political fixes. Now, some of that's understandable. This is politics, after all. We're all grown folks here. We understand how that works. But what Axel Wirrod is warning about here is not out of the clear blue sky. This is somebody that's plugged in. He knows what's going on. There's a tendency in the president's party and probably among his staffers to go all out offensive on how super duper awesome the Biden administration is. If you do that, and what David Axelrod is warning about here is it will be utterly out of touch. This president cannot do that. Sure, you need to trumpet what you think your accomplishments are because that's the gig, but people aren't feeling it. Inflation has them scared. They're getting hit where they notice it. Things like fuel prices, things like used car prices, things like grocery prices, things that they need every day. These are not luxury items. These are things they need, and they're feeling the pinch. A lot of them still have unsettled work situations from the pandemic. Many schools are only now getting back to normal and dropping things like mask mandates and social distancing. There's a lot going on out there. And if you try to blow it all over and just tell people that it's all great and it's all good and we're doing wonderful, you're going to get laughed out of the room. And this is a president because we check the approval ratings. He doesn't have a lot of room to wiggle, especially in a midterm election year, as we discussed on yesterday's program. It has never happened that a president has improved his approval rating between January and November of an election year. We'll see what happens here for a midterm. Maybe he turns it around. Maybe the economy comes roaring back. Maybe COVID really is going to be over this time. We will see. But when the president of the United States gets in front of a television audience, that, by the way, since David Axelrod brought it up, I suspect will be a very low viewership total, relatively speaking. He could definitely use some humility. Go ahead and admit you didn't get it all right right off the jump. Nobody could have. There's no shame in that. Everybody has to adapt as they go. Throw people a bone to let them know that you know that things aren't going great. Then you can pivot and talk about all the good things. But if President Biden goes to his old Sheriff Joe routine, the old aw shucks routine, the arrogance that he can show sometimes, just rattling off talking points, that's not going to be good. I suspect the president will have a good speech. He usually raises these occasions and delivers the words good. Most of his problem comes when he has to speak off the cuff or answer questions. So I think he rises to the quite, I think he rises to the occasion and does a perfectly serviceable speech. I also don't think unless he flubs it, it's going to matter anything. 
a week after that because those problems aren't going away. It's an election year. We see a lot of recalibration for the Congress critters and other people that are going to be up for election. And the president needs to be very careful because his political sand is going to shift under his feet quickly because people are going to have to start looking out for themselves. He needs to have a tight, focused agenda that is realistic because there's not going to be a lot done in Congress for the rest of this year. He starts promising big. He starts bragging. He starts talking about how great he is. This could be an utter disaster. I don't think he'll do that. I think he'll heed David Axelrod and other people's advice and try to find a middle ground of praising himself and downplaying the issues of the day. But is that going to be enough for an election? I don't think so. More hotel right after this. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. We're going to talk a little energy policy, a little bit of climate, that sort of thing. Uh, we're joined with another one of our great Young Voices contributors, Jacob Puckett. Uh, he does a lot of writing in environmental and energy fields, also a little bit of transportation, but we're going to focus on energy today. Uh, he is working out of the Show Me Institute, and if you didn't already know, that's out of Missouri, which is the Show Me State. Jacob, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. Thrilled to have you. You did some writing over at uh, Real Clear Energy. Free market reforms can help reduce GHG emissions faster. That's a big word. What's the acronym? Let's get our nomenclature straight before <laughs> we dive into the particulars here. What the heck is a GHG emission? So GHG stands for greenhouse gas emissions. Typically, that's shorthand for saying carbon dioxide emissions, which you know would, would be a long uh, phrase to spell out. So GHG kind of takes the place for that. Now, we've heard about greenhouse gases all of our lives. Some of those are naturally occurring. Some of those are not naturally occurring. So when they're talking about reducing the emissions, which ones are actually harmful? Which ones can we really not do a whole lot about even if we wanted to? And which ones are being targeted specifically regulatory-wise? Sure. So that's, that's the big question. Um, which emissions are harmful and which ones are coming from us versus which ones are occurring naturally? This, it's, a, it's a debated topic. The IPCC and their last report uh, attributed nearly all of the recent warming uh, to human activity, which that's, that's a big statement. Maybe more information will come out uh, the next time they have another one of these reports and, and they might adjust the view. Um, but that's a debated topic. And we're usually talking about carbon dioxide emissions, specifically from the energy sector, transportation sector, and industrial sector. Those three account for about 80% of all of America's greenhouse gas emissions. So when, when we talk about um, policies or regulations to, re excuse me, to reduce our emissions, those are the main areas that we're usually talking about. Now, I've kind of softened my stances on this over the years. I've kind of come to the point when talking about environmental things where I just want to start with a little humility to go, okay, I don't really know. I, I know more of what I don't know than what I actually know when it comes to this stuff. So my general basis when we start talking about climate and clean energy and things like this is with a lot of other areas, I'm a freedom guy first. So I think it should be an all of the above type thing. It seems to me, though, that when we start talking uh, emissions regulations and these sort of things, it's not an all of the above type thing. People want to get really specific, really quick about what they do and do not want to regulate. Right. And, and the good thing is the all of the above approach is, in my opinion, the better approach to take. And, and the good news on this topic, 
Um, if you thought the only way to reduce emissions and protect the planet was to wait for the government's next big regulation, their, their specific thing they want to go after, well, you'll think again. Market-based solutions in those three areas that I mentioned, uh, energy, transportation, and the industrial sector, market-based solutions using the forces of competition and innovation are already starting to clean up those sectors. And if we want to reduce emissions even faster, we should be doubling down on these market-based solutions rather than just, you know, punting the ball to the government and waiting for them to regulate everything. Yeah. Talking to Jacob Puckett. Um, Let's just go into them then. What are the market-based solutions for emissions right now that you see that are going? Because we know regulatory can be adaptive to the market when something happens and the market runs way ahead and then the regulation has to catch up. What's going on in the market that has the regulators and Congress's attention right now? So we'll, we'll take energy first because that's the one that gets talked about the most. There are two sides to the electricity market uh, and market-based competitive reforms on both of those sides uh, have been good in this regard. On the electricity generation side, uh, there are some parts of the country that use competitive regional markets to select the lowest cost uh, electricity to meet the demand that's needed in that region. And for the regions that use these competitive markets, they've been able to integrate clean energy faster than areas that don't. And just for an example, uh, one of the best places to get wind energy, America's largest renewable resource right now, uh, is in the Great Plains states, uh, kind of here by where I am in Missouri, and then a little bit further to the west. For the states uh, in the Great Plains area that use these competitive uh, electricity generation markets, they've been able to integrate more wind energy faster uh, than other Great Plains states that don't have these markets. So opening, opening up the playing field and allowing more energy sources to compete has been a good way uh, to incorporate more clean energy sources. Yeah. And when you're talking cost, though, let's let's slow down for just a second so we don't lose anybody. And you can explain this to me like I'm five because I don't understand it that well either. But when you're talking cost, we're not talking about what shows up on my electric bill at my home. There's a cost to generating power, no matter how you're doing it, renewable, old school, oil, whatever. There's a cost to making this. And that's the cost that you're talking about here. Right. So when you get your electric bill, uh, you're really looking at the final item, uh, the final collected list uh, of several items that go into generating your electricity. You've got the fuel sources, uh, which it could be could be coal, it could be natural gas, it could be solar power. You've got your transmission costs. Uh, that's those are the power lines and the distribution centers that you see. They get the power from the power plant. Uh, to your home or to your business. Uh, those are the main components. And usually the, uh, the generation and fuel costs will make up between uh, about a, a quarter to a third uh, of the total um, retail costs that you, that you see on your final electric bill. It's the transportation and distribution that'll make up about two thirds uh, of the bill. And, and you're right, those costs are needed uh, no matter how you're generating the electricity, because if you generate it in the middle of nowhere, what use is that to anyone? You've got to get it to people. So yeah, you're, you're right. There are a number of costs that go into uh, getting electricity to people. Now, you've already talked about uh, private sector and the market sector, as opposed to the government sector. In the American system of government, though, we kind of have a little bit of an in-between step, and you just mentioned it. 
uh, the states have a lot of latitude to try to do some experimenting here. Uh, what is it about certain states that are succeeding? You already mentioned the plain states are good for wind. Uh, but you also mentioned in your article a state like Texas, which, of course, traditionally heavy oil state, heavy fossil fuel state. But you mentioned them as well, that even they are diversifying on this stuff. Talk about how the states really are the laboratories on stuff like this. Yeah, states really are the laboratories of energy democracy in this regard. And Texas is a great example because all around they have one of the most market based competitive uh, energy and electricity markets out of any state. Uh, they, they are very competitive when it comes to um, allowing different sources uh, of energy to generate their electricity. And on the other side, uh, for, for people like you and me, we're the ones buying the electricity and using it. Uh, Texas is great in, in regards to allowing their residents to choose their own electric service provider from a whole bunch of different competing companies. And in many states, uh, people don't have that option. The government says, uh, there's going to be a monopoly. You have one choice. Uh, we'll try to do our best to regulate this company. But at the end of the day, that's who you've got. And if you don't like it, tough luck. Not so in Texas. They, they, they let people choose and it's opened up. Um, it, it's opened up all sorts of opportunities because people want renewable energy. Uh, they want to diversify um, where they're getting their electricity, whether it's homeowners or businesses. And the model that Texas uses allows them uh, to use to use their freedom and to choose from different uh, electric providers. Yeah, there's that all above all of the above thing we were talking about again. You just mentioned it. Uh, a lot of people want it. Homeowners want it. Customers want it. Businesses want it. What's going to be the tipping point on the energy side of this debate to where the cost and the technology and the market? and the regulation all start to meet because we understand right now, those are all kind of in divergent places. We don't really have the technology to replace all fossil fuels. We don't have the regulation to do it. When do you think the mating point for all those is going to be? Is it any time in the near future or is it still way off in the distance? I think it's closer um, in the near future uh, than, than it has been in times past. And I'll, I'll explain that in a moment, but the, the electricity sector is changing rapidly. You, you no longer have people just accepting the old monopoly utility model of one company will generate all the electricity and everyone else just buys from them. Yep. L large businesses um, want to be able to compete in, this, uh, in these um, regional electric markets uh, themselves. They want to be able to, for instance, put their own solar panels up and offset some of their costs and to sell that electricity back to the grid. It's, it's no longer... Uh, one utility, and then everyone else on the outside. There are now multiple players uh, in these electricity markets. And uh, a recent um, order from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which has a lot of say in these regional electricity markets, uh, a few months ago, they just put out an order. It's order 2222 for anyone who wants to look it up, uh, opening up these markets even more to allow more market participants uh, to, to participate in the electricity generation process. So that's the future uh, of where the industry is going. Uh, more is better. And uh, that's, that's what we're looking at. 
We're talking to Jacob Puckett. When we come back, we've talked the energy side. We're going to talk to the transportation side when we come back from the break, which is getting more and more entangled in energy because of the push for electric. Talking about that with Jacob Puckett of Young Voices right after this on Hertel. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're talking to Jacob Puckett about energy. Uh, and now we've got to talk about transportation, Jacob, because if we're going to push electric and the whole of government and a lot of the private sector are pushing electric even above uh, other technologies, but that's another debate for another day, there's going to be a push-pull there because, as you just mentioned, electricity is finite. However, we're generating it, all these new methods of generating there's a collision course here that we're rapidly coming up on is if we're going to push electric in the transportation sector, we better get right with that. We're going to have to change how electricity is done. Is that not correct? Right. When, when more electric vehicles hit the road, uh, overall, there's going to be a greater demand for electricity. It, and, and that's simply because you're changing the fuel source for millions of vehicles from gasoline uh, and oil-based fuel to electricity. So we are looking at the need for more electric generation overall. And uh, a, a lot of policymakers and lawmakers and regulators are focusing on electric vehicles as, as a way to improve local air quality, uh, reduce the transportation sector's overall environmental impact, um, as, as well as any benefits that drivers might experience, but, but that's, that's a separate issue. However, a lot, of, a lot of these lawmakers have focused more on the um, you know, the hammer and nail side mandates and subsidies, whereas uh, there are better ways to promote electric vehicles that involve uh, opening up the market and giving more people the opportunity to buy them. And there's, it's not just technology. There's some practical stuff in the way here. You touch on it in the article. Um, electric vehicles are not like regular vehicles, regulatory wise right now. There's restrictions on who can buy them, who can sell them. Uh, there's going to be an issue with these vehicles, uh, like we've seen in the farming sector, a right to repair issue with these vehicles because it's heavily regulated. We know the issues with batteries and the rare in- minerals and the export problems with that. It's not just technology and it's not just environmental um, nerddom, for lack of a letter, better way of phrasing it. If you're talking about people's primary transportation, there's a lot of practical issues that got to be worked out here. Right. It's, it's crazy to think that residents of nearly two dozen states are not allowed to buy electric vehicles directly from the manufacturer. That's, that's how companies like Tesla, for instance, sell their cars. They don't go through dealerships. You buy it directly from the dealer. Well, it's illegal in about two dozen states. So those residents would have to travel out of state to buy an EV from a, a popular brand, Tesla or Rivian or, or any of the new electric vehicle companies entering the market. And, and if lawmakers wanted to encourage uh, more people to buy electric vehicles, one thing they could do is to make it easier to allow them to buy electric vehicles. Getting rid of these, uh, these outdated restrictions that require uh, car manufacturers to go through dealerships will go a long way in bringing uh, more electric vehicles to the streets and providing an operating stability for all these new companies, uh, giving them the confidence that they can operate where people want their cars. Yeah, talking to Jacob Puckett, a Young Voices contributor, talking a little bit of energy and environment. Okay, so to loop this back where we started with energy, um, if the regulation for the EVs are bad 
and the regulation for the energy production and the new technologies coming online is schizophrenic. Where do people start in their advocacy for this stuff? Because we talked, I know the states are doing some stuff, but I think people that even maybe want to be interested in the environment, maybe they care a little bit. They're maybe not militant online about it or anything like that. Is there just an intimidation factor to some of this right now because of the way the discourse is going where people just go like, ah, I'm just not going to fool with that. How do we turn down that noise and let people that maybe are mildly interested get into this? Because there doesn't seem to be a lot of access points to discussing this topic that don't wind up in an alley of getting yelled at on your Facebook page, right? <laughs> right. Well, the key is to stay away from the extremist legislation that gets proposed in Congress that gets the most media attention. People might be surprised there have been a number of uh, reasonable market-based solutions uh, for um, for for transportation and for electricity generation that have that have moved through Congress the past couple of years. Um, you could start to look at um, Kevin Kramer has a very reasonable position on this. Um, Joe Manchin will bring a voice of reason uh, when when the the rhetoric gets too hot. Um, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are also focused on these, and and they typically provide uh, a more sensible um, middle of the road way to reducing emissions and bringing more competition to electricity markets in ways that don't involve just simply slamming down the heavy hand of government. This is what you must do. Instead, they focus on cooperation and innovation. Yeah. And real quick, before we have to let you go, since you're an energy guy, uh, one of those heavy hands has been in a sector that we know for a fact can produce a massive amount of clean energy in a hurry, but nobody really wants to do anything with it. Nuclear power. Uh, you just mentioned Joe Manchin, state of West Virginia, had a ban, a legal ban on the book that you could not do any nuclear power in the state. They just lifted that. The governor signed it into law. What does that read to you when something that is almost emblematic of fossil fuel coal country, West Virginia, and they make that kind of a statement legislatively? I know that doesn't mean probably in my lifetime I'd ever see a nuclear power plant, but still, that that's it's not everything, but that's a something, ain't it? Hey, more, more states should follow West Virginia's lead in this. Most of these laws banning nuclear power were passed decades ago when there were a few minor accidents with nuclear power plants. But right now, it is one of the safest ways to generate electricity. And, and you're right, Andrew, it's emissions free, it's reliable, and you can generate a lot of electricity with this. And it's great that West Virginia is doing this. Um, at any time, but it's exciting right now because the next generation of nuclear technology um, is is being developed and is starting to be built out west uh, in states like Idaho and Wyoming. Small nuclear reactors, um, maybe you know, one fifth to one tenth of the size of a traditional power plant. They're more flexible. They're cheaper. They're even safer than the safe traditional uh, nuclear power plants that we're that we're used to. And it's it's going to be exciting to see if West Virginia. Uh, wants to take advantage of this new technology and and move on from just being a coal-only state. Yeah. Jacob Puckett, great stuff today. Good insight. Let people know where they can find you. You're writing. This piece was in Real Clear Energy. We'll link to it, but let them know about your social media and what else you have going on, my friend. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob R. Puckett. That's, that's Jacob with a K, uh, the letter R and Puckett. Uh, I, I write for Young Voices, so you can find me on the youngvoices.org website. And uh, you, know, just, you can also just Google my name, Jacob Puckett Energy, and uh, you'll see lots of things that I've worked on. Yep, and that's Jacob with a K when you go to get on the twitter.com. 
Uh, Jacob, outstanding stuff, my friend. We'll be sure to have you on. You're a transportation guy too. I want to talk transportation with you in the future because uh, I'm a transportation guy, box kicker from way back. Good stuff, my friend. Well done. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. back to her tell him andrew donaldson thank you for being with us we touched on on friday's program about the trucker convoy and the truck protest up in ottawa uh we've made our position pretty clear on this i'm sure there's people that are a part of the protest and folks here in the states that are supporting the idea behind the protest that are all on the up and up but the leadership and the money involved in this is highly suspect there's a lot of online activity that is highly sp- suspect and there's a lot of bad faith actors that are latching onto this so it's not something we can just abstractly uh, support. You need to pierce through it. You need to dig through it. There's a lot of layers to this. And a lot of the leadership and money and the people behind it layers are ugly with some very bad faith actors involved in it. So don't just take it at face value. Having said that, you can't broad brush paint everybody involved in the protests or people in Canada who legitimately want to protest and think they have some rights and some legitimate grievances with all the bad faith actors, it's a complicated situation. As with most things, if you're not sure which way the wind's blowing, don't smash sin just because it fits into what you think. Dig into a little bit. Having said that, and we prefaced it when we talked about it, the Canadian government is not exactly covering themselves in glory here in the way they're handling it and responding to it. Uh, the CBC, uh, this is the official Canadian broadcasting company. Uh, It is state affiliated, although that's a little harsh to call it state affiliated, but you understand what I'm getting at. It's not like ABC, NBC, Uh, more analogous to the BBC. They wrote a piece and the headline of the piece is why the word freedom is such a useful rally cry for protesters. Now, let me I'm going to read a piece of this to make a point. Uh, There's an argument to be had that nomenclature and words like freedom can be hijacked. We've talked about that on this program often. I suspect we will talk about it more going forward. There's a great discussion that needs to be had there. This ain't it. But there's a part of this piece that I want to discuss with us because I think it's part of a bigger problem down towards the end of it after talking about the freedom protesters and all this. To see the world freedom, to see the word freedom bandied about as part of these protests points to a broader circulation of what Elizabeth Anker calls violent, violence is in quotes, just stay with me for a second, forms of freedom. Freedom is a slippery concept, said Anker, an associate professor of political science at George Washington University and the author of, quote, Ungly Freedoms, which examines the history of how freedom as a concept has been used in American society. Just stay with me here for a second. I, I, we need to hear this, so just listen to it, and then we're going to come back and cover it. Quoting, on the far right, individual freedom is often translated into somebody who refuses to be bound by norms of equality, treating all people equally, or norms to remedy inequality, whether that's trying to remedy racial discrimination or gender discrimination, end quote. The word has been used by far-right groups as part of pushback against efforts to remedy inequality. As while those forms of, quote, violent freedom, there's that term again, just remember that, can result in situations that are dangerous, discriminatory, or anti-democratic, the call to action can gain broader support because fighting for freedom is seen as a noble cause. Far-right groups have appeared in Canada back in 2015, and in the years since, Perry says, that anti-state rhetoric has gained more mainstream popularity. Now, freedom 
lead social media posts about the protest is trumpeted in memes and even in the focus of merchandise. A bumper sticker reads Mandate Freedom, emblazoned with a maple leaf. Remember, we're dealing with Canada here. Is available for sale online. So are the t-shirts and hats promoting the Freedom Convoy. Anchor says the concept of freedom is displayed is the anti-mandate protest is something more often attributed to the United States. <laughs> Canada blaming us. There's an original one. Quote, freedom is often used almost as a national entitlement as a claim for what people have, she said, end quote. While some in the U.S. may see mask mandates as a violation of individual rights, for example, other citizens in many countries won't consider such rules to be an intrusion in those places. And in Canada, it's likely there is a general consensus that wearing masks is for the benefit of society's most vulnerable. But even in Canada, some protesters have balked at the idea, claiming the need for freedom. It's been talked about a lot. This is in quotes. Listen to this. It's been talked a lot by people of surprising to see people in Canada who seem so much more accepting of social interdependence to start pushing back against it with the language of individual freedom. That's Anchor, Anchor, I believe her name is. That's from the CBC, Canada's official broadcasting company. Let's back up. Violent freedom. Freedom is a slippery concept, this Anchor's lady says. No, it's not. It's a very simple concept. It has a complex application, but the concept's simple. Freedom means people being able to determine their own destiny as best they can do. Now, the problem is everybody's idea of freedom isn't the same, and it clashes. That's why we should have governments. That's why we need to be able to self-govern and have some guardrails on our own freedoms, because even though that restricts some of our freedoms, it will allow other people to have their freedoms. And that's something that's got to be negotiated. It's not slippery. It's hard work. Something that's got to be hashed out, but it has to be hashed out in good faith. If your government isn't acting in good faith and the people aren't acting in good faith, you're not negotiating anything. You're just slinging words at each other. There's a whole lot of that going on behind these kinds of protests because, again, there's plenty of people that are just trying to get what they think are entitled to them, and they're airing their grievances in the way they're allowed to through protest. We get that. But there's also people that can co-opt that and come behind them, people with a lot of money, people with a lot of power, people with a lot of agendas that go far beyond just what's going on in Ottawa. And the government has their agendas too. They don't like dissent. They don't like people pushing back. They wish everybody would just fall in line. These things all interact. And in the middle of all that is this concept of freedom. Who has claim to it? Who's in charge of it? Who's the most righteous to say that I'm free and I have a right to defend my freedom. Now, the Canadians can do it how they want. Here in America, uh, we believe our rights are endowed to us, not by the government. The government's supposed to protect them, ensure them. We don't get our rights from the government, though. But here's what I will say. Your government and your people have to work together better, both of them, if you're going to have a civil society. There's been a breakdown on both parts here. The government has all the power, so they have more accountability and more responsibility. People protesting also have a responsibility to make sure their protests stay colored within the lines. Things like shutting down border crossings or intimidating people has been reported. That's not okay because that's not about freedom anymore. That gets into violence. That gets into rioting. That gets into other things that some of them same folks decried when other people did it, and they shouldn't do it. I hate to break this to you. Freedom isn't just a buzzword. It's one of those existential things that we have to work out every minute of every day of our lives if we're going to be citizens of the country and the world. 
Too many people just want to grab the buzzword and go about their business and then whip it out as a weapon whenever they feel like they're being imposed on. If you really care about freedom, you care about freedom all the time for all people. Otherwise, then you're not really talking about freedom. You're just talking about getting what you want. There's different words for that than freedom. But some of y'all ain't ready for that conversation. We'll be right back with more Hurtel after this. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. You know, we always try to end on an uplifting or good note or some at least some good news or something more lighthearted. We have to talk about a lot of heavy topics, so we want to do something easy at the end. This is a great story out of Wilmington, North Carolina, W-R-A-L, out of Raleigh. Great news organization. Uh, during his worst moments on the trail, when he's trudging up hill in the rain with days before the next town to resupply, Luke Bennett imagines having a warm cup of coffee, pancakes at his parents' house. Quote, it's just something simple, a situation where I was at maximum comfort, he said. And when I think about it, especially in difficult situations, I could almost always escape into that memory and feel it again, like it was right there happening. For Bennett, 22, running and being outdoors are crucial parts of his life, providing him with challenges, rejuvenation, a mental outlet, and a long, lifelong passion. Since he started running cross-country in middle school, Bennett has logged more than 20,000 miles on the trail, but now he's using his passion to give back in March. Bennett will travel nearly 1,200 miles across the North Carolina's mountains to the Sea Trail from the Outer Banks to the Great Smoky Mountains, documenting his journey to raise money for the North Carolina Wildlife Federation. Bennett, an Oak Island resident, that's Coastal Carolina for those of you unfamiliar, has lived all across North Carolina but said tackling the Mountain to Sea Trail will truly allow him to appreciate the state he's lived in his whole life. Quote, I figured this would be a great way to really understand where I'm from, and it just seems like a good challenge. It stretches the entire length of North Carolina and goes through the coastal region, the Piedmont region, and the mountains. So it's going to be neat that it won't be the same terrain every single day. It's going to vary drastically throughout his journey. Bennett will be taking pictures and videos documenting the sights and sounds of the trail and highlighting the issues that threaten habitats and wildlife. People can follow Bennett's trek on Facebook at NC Wildlife Federation, his Instagram account, NC Wildlife Federation. Bennett was originally going to break the record for the fastest time to complete the Mountain to Sea Trail, but decided to take his time and appreciate the journey instead. That would have been a logistical nightmare, he said. Bennett was planning to have a crew follow him with supplies to lighten his load and keep his spirits up while he raced through the trail. Now he plans to camp out most nights, but will also stay with trail angels along the way with family that as he passed Durham. He stopped in towns every few days to resupply at the nearest grocery stores. It's kind of just like to get to the next grocery store and then go from there. Bennett said an underrated aspect of through hiking is the mental challenge. When he's on the trail, he listens to audiobooks and podcasts. Hey, I got a podcast you can listen to, sir, if you really want to. It's called Herd Tell. Check it out. It's good stuff. Quote, your legs, they adapt reasonably quickly. It's mostly just the monotony of walking every day and the boredom that comes along with that can really chip away at people. But after years of experience in the highs and lows of cross-country running, Bennett said he embraces the challenge and is hoping the mountain to sea trail will humble him. When I get to those really challenging trails with really difficult terrain, it just kind of makes me feel really small, he said. Like, maybe I haven't really conquered anything and there's a lot more to look forward to, I guess. What a healthy attitude to have. Seeing nature, realizing it's bigger than you, maybe we should all be a little bit more humble and look for more challenges. So good on him. That'll do it for Hurtel for today. If you missed anything, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel or 
any of the podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, you name it, we are on them, including some in foreign languages that I can't even pronounce, but I promise you heard tells available on them. If you really want to listen to it in India or Denmark or any of these other places, we have some of the podcasts at. It's an amazing world we live in. If you subscribe, you can go through the entire archive, every single episode. Also, anything labeled Good Talks, those are the interview-only portion segments. Make sure you check those out. They come out every afternoon of the interview of that morning's program. If you're subscribed, by the time you wake up in the morning, especially if you're in the U.S., you will have a brand new episode every weekday. You also have the long-form podcast, the current one up and running, Dr. Katie Gordon, uh, talking a little mental health. Make sure you check that out. A lot of interesting things happening in the world. We continue to work to bring you great, knowledgeable guests, to turn down the noise of the news cycle, to get to the information you need. And we appreciate you greatly for joining us, because if you're not here, we ain't got nobody to talk to. It's a partnership. And you've supported us well, and we thank you very, very much. So until we talk to you again tomorrow on Herdtail, wherever you and yours are, we hope you're well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Herdtail. All the music on Herdtail is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.